Welcome to our Pini. This is Saratova Beth. Speech. The power of speech. How do we affect things with the power of speech? We're going to see this. We're learning Tazriya Matsara about, about, um, not really leprosy, but a spiritual kind of a, a very high form of spiritual leprosy, so to speak, that existed a couple of thousand years ago, the time of the, you know, let's just say a couple of thousand years ago. And there's a revolution going on in, and that comes through the Torah, that comes through our Holy Torah, in, in this issue of, of looking at the negative and the positive, or, or as negative occurs and positive occurs. Is there, is there a different relationship that we have in our generation with darkness and light, with negative and positive? relative to other generations. So we'll leave that question for a second and we'll we'll just look at what the Torah says. Because this is based on the Sikh this is a Sikh of Tazriya Matara, uh, said in the year Tashinanalis, nineteen ninety one. And here the Rebbe is saying that we've said recently that Kolo Kala Kitsin, that we really are entering the Mashiach Messianic times and when we look at the Parsha, the Torah portion of the week, there happen to be sometimes that two Torah portions come together. This one is Tazriya Metzairah. And what they're all about is, Tazriya means, the Hebrew words are, Isha ki Tazriya When a woman conceives, she sows seed, so to speak, and she gives birth to a male child. Now, what's that about? We know that birth, really is a hint, it means it, it, it's a template for Geula, for Messianic times, redemption. As it says, Yaldetzian is Vanah, that Sion gives birth to her sons. And so birth is really a hint at um, the strength, the power. Why are we saying power? Zohar. She sows seed, she conceives, and she gives birth to a male child, to a male when we're talking about male, that's referring to the power and the strength. Power and strength. Men t- tend to be physically stronger than women. So her giving birth to to male means Isha, in this case, is the Jewish people. So we see conceiving, we'll see in a second, going through the whole process of our labor, of all the very dark and difficult years of Jewish history. Of, of, of what's called gullus, of exile. And so we being that, that woman, so to speak, when the woman sows seed and gives birth to a, a male child, we're talking about us doing all of that enormous amount of work and people giving their lives, sanctifying the name of God, uh, Jewish people being victimized and targeted throughout history in the most horrific way. Hayalatiya may it never maybe we never see that again. And 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 going through everything that we did standing strong by our faith and standing strong in Shmagisrah Hashem Lakeno Hashem Khad, Hero Israel, the Lord is um the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. One. Standing strong and Jewish people 
giving their lives for the sanctification, sanctification of the name of God with those words on their lips and leaving the world, all of that work that we did gives us, that's the sowing of the seed and gives us the ability to give birth to a mass, a male, a masculine geula, meaning two things. What does it mean, masculine geula, masculine redemption? means a permanent one and a powerful one. Men are physically powerful. And men have a permanent, the masculine energy is a more permanent one. Women are more compared to the moon, constantly going in a cycle, changing all the time. A new moon, a new moon. And men are compared, the male energy is compared to the sun, which is constant. Permanent. In general, you see between men and women, you know, women are more more embrace changes. Um, they're changing their moods. New information comes along. They change their, you know, let's do this. Oh, wait. Oh, no, no. Let's do that. Oh, let's do this. That's more the feminine aspect in ourselves because it's an energy of constantly giving birth to something new and changing. Whereas the masculine energy is this is what it is. We don't change. Sometimes you'll see, you know, a little side note, funny kind of a thing. The masculine energy gives gives rise to that instinct in people that, you know, when you say, well, let's stop at this place on the trip on the highway, and then maybe five minutes later, the feminine energy will say, you know what, forget it. Let's not stop there and let's do something else. Whereas the masculine energy will say, we all, we already decided. Once we decided, that's what we do. Or we already decided we're not doing it, so we're not making any changes. It's the masculine energy in both men and women that gives us that sense of permanence. This is what it is. We don't make any changes. We already decided. We're not rethinking it. And it's the feminine energy in all of us that gives us the ability to rethink and redo and, and, and create something new every moment, essentially. So here we're speaking about, again, Ishaki Sazria, this is this week's Parsha. Sazria means sowing seeds. We sow those seeds throughout all of exile and we give birth to a permanent geula, a permanent redemption. And the Yalda Zafar, she gives birth to a masculine energy, means she gives birth, we give birth to the soul of Mashiach, who's from a very, 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 the soul of Messiah, the soul of, Mashiach means the Messiah, well, I'll, I'm not going to just have that in mind, Mashiach means the Messiah, and the ultimate, the true Messiah, and from now on, I'll just, in the Sikha, I'll say the word Mashiach, and Mashiach is from a very, very high level, it's called Malma de, de Kura, in Aramaic. So when we're talking about this, a woman who gives seeds, sows seeds, as we say, we mean everything we've done throughout all of exile and everything we've accomplished and everything we've gone through. It is the planting of the seed that will give birth to that amazing geula, redemption, time of eternal, ultimate peace and goodness open godliness, revealed godliness, etc. The redemption, time of redemption forever. So that's that one Parsha. And then there's another Parsha. The other one, after it is called Mitzayra. Mitzayra means a leper. It says in the Gemara, what is the name of Mashiach? Mashiach is considered 
his name is the 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 name of Mashiach is he's he's um, a Messiah. He's on some level a leper. On some level, and what is that? He he suffers the suffering of the world, and and he himself is he himself doesn't have those imperfections, but he's he's a he's a manuga. He's he has those afflictions, which are really ours, and yet. They they filter through him, let's say, through Mashiach himself. And as it says that he, you know, he sits at the gates of the city and he's bandaged, you know, this is a remnant, this is a, a parable. And he's bandaged and he's constantly changing his bandages. And there's a whole spiritual understanding of what that's all about. But one other thing, it says about him, This will be the Tyra of the Matsaira of the leper on the day that he's purified. This is the Tyra of the leper. Again, it's a spiritual leper. We don't it's not physical leprosy like we have today. It's a very high spiritual um affliction. A couple of thousand years ago. This is it says in this parsha, this is the purification of the leper of the Messiah on the day that he is purified. Sometimes this Parsha, Parsha's Matsaira, is called Parsha's Tara, the portion, the Torah portion of purification, rather than the Torah portion of spiritual leprosy. Because Matsaira is the name of Mashiach at the time of Gullus, at the time of exile, in the time of darkness. He himself is complete. As it says, Yatsilavi Yarav, Venasa He's complete and whole, spiritually, and he's spiritually complete. But he does take on the struggles, the suffering, the affliction of the darkness of Galus of, of exile. But on the day of his purification, when he's purified, what does that mean? Which day is that that he's purified? That day is speaking about the situation of Mashiach when he becomes revealed. He's given permission to reveal himself and redeem the Jewish people in the Gula in the true and complete Gula redemption. When he is given permission by God to redeem the Jewish people, the Moses of the generation, the Moshe Rabbeinu, the Moses of the generation, when he is just as Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, was was told, go redeem the Jewish people from their slavery and their exile. Moshe, Moses is the first redeemer. Moshe is Ugarish and Galachon. He's the first redeemer and he's ultimately the last redeemer. There's a Moses in every generation. The leader of the generation, the leader of the Jewish people in every single generation. There is a Moses of the generation. Sometimes we know who it is and sometimes... And this generation is very clear. In the past number of generations, is very clear. And the, the, that Moses of the generation is given the notification by God himself, now go and redeem the Jewish people. And now, and the last redeemer, the last Moses, who's called also Mashiach, 
is given the notification, not just like Moses, sorry, backtrack. Moses, the first Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, was given the notification, given the command by God, go redeem the Jewish people. And all through history, that's what's happening. When it comes to the very last Moses, the very last Moshe, who also is Mashiach, he's, he's told by, by God, you are Mashiach. Go redeem the entire world. You are no longer, this is no longer a case of, the, I will tell you, go and redeem the Jewish people. I am now telling you, go and redeem the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. Every single human being in this world. Go and redeem them, all of them. And go and redeem all of the past generations, all of the future generations, past, present, future. You, Mashiach, your job is to go and redeem every single human being. Every single everything. From this dark, bitter exile. So the way that he does that, and the way we interact with him, and the way we do it, because obviously this devolves on us about how we are to be in these last moments of exile. As the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, being that we've announced, we've been told by God Almighty that this is the last generation of exile and the first of redemption, and that we've come to the moment when this is it. We're entering the days of Mashiach. This is it. We're making that transition. So it's no longer just sitting back, nobody's given permission, whether you're Jewish or you're not Jewish, no one's given permission to just sit with their arms crossed and say, great, wake me up when it's all over because, you know, I'm looking for the good stuff. But every single person is, in, is being charged to be a soldier, a foot soldier, to transition the world over, to bring the world from exile to redemption, from Gullus, what's called Gullus to Gula, exile to redemption. So if that's the case, what we want to know is, What we want to know is what the connection is between these two parshas, Tazria and Matsaira. Because Tazria, you know, sowing seeds, seems to be about, the whole content of that portion seems to be about birth. You sow a seed, you conceive, and you give birth. As it says, Ishik, it says, a woman who sows seed and gives birth. And, and what does she give birth to? We are that woman now. What do we give birth to? We said, the redemption, the gerula. So that's what that portion is all about. Tazria, sowing seeds, giving birth to the gula. What's the name, Mitzayra, the one that comes, the Torah portion that comes after that? It seems to be about the opposite of purification. Because it's all about leprosy. That's not pure. Although it's, it's, that's not pure, obviously. It seems that in Messiah, with the with spiritual leprosy that afflicts Mashiach himself, there's me, there's a need for a, a special assistance from above to bring about the purification, because it's speaking about all of the difficulty of the darkness and of Gullus and of exile. So. 
the, the names of the Parsha seem to contradict the content of it. The name of the Torah portion seems to contradict the, the content of it. Okay. Contradictions are good because it, um, that's where all the good stuff is lying in those contradictions. So, and so, and one more question about the order of the Parshas. First you have Tazria. Tazria says, right, we said, first in the, the order is Tazria. Tazria says, we sow seeds, we give birth to a permanent redemption, a permanent gula. And then the next Parsha is Matira, that Mashiach is, is, is afflicted. Wait a minute. We, we're done. We sowed seeds. We did our work throughout all of, all of history. Now we gave birth to a permanent gula. Well, why is the next step? Oh, so Mashiach is a leper. We're, we're finished with the leprosy. We're finished with the affliction. It seems like the order of the Parshas is backwards. It's chronologically backwards. If we already have a permanent gula, what is this that Mashiach himself, the one who's the redeemer, is afflicted? If we already have a permanent gula, like what, what's that about? So, and we're saying that the names of the Parsha don't seem to um, reflect the content of the Parsha. They seem opposite. Okay. So, here we're going to come to something, a really powerful insight, life and life skill from our Holy Torah. A life skill for all of mankind, an insight that then we take that and make it into a life skill. The life skill that we need as we're transitioning, as we are taking the world from exile to redemption, from darkness to light, we, we are doing it. Of course God is doing it. Of course Mashiach is doing it. But we are being empowered to be the absolutely crucial, necessary foot soldiers who bring about, who do, who do the process, who, who, who do it. We're not sitting here with our arms folded. It, we're being told by God it's not going to work if we just sit here with our arms folded and wait, you know, wait for, wait for the whole thing to be finished. It's not going to work. So, here's one of, here, here's a powerful answer. By the way, one, one other question. The name of Mashiach. Mashiach is the redeemer of Israel. So, that's his main Mashiach is the redeemer of Israel, and ultimately Mashiach is the redeemer of all of mankind. So why are we calling him with his exile name, his gullus name? You know, all of us have, when you think about yourself, let's say, you know, you're a woman and you're Spanish and you're 32 years old and you're a computer programmer and you are, you know, have a hobby as an artist, and you, uh, you, you sometimes, you, you try to eat healthy and lose weight. You have a whole lot of identities going on in your life. And, and, you know, when you're going to, when you're with all computer programmers, they really don't care about all your other stuff. If you're 32 and you lost weight, you didn't lose weight, you know, what you have for lunch, where, what you're doing at the time, kind of you use that name at that time. You have lots of, you know, lots of names. So lots of names based on different things that you do. 
So Mashiach has lots of names too, based on what he's doing. So if we're now up to the point of describing him in the Torah as the one who brings about the permanent redemption and redeems the Jewish people and then, then the whole world, why are we calling him on the name, the old name from the past when he was afflicted? Hello? <laughs> Upgrade. <laughs> Upgrade the software. We're saying, that's it. We're talking about the Gula. Fast forward. Picture the full redemption of the whole world. Why are you using his old name? You know, sometimes, sometimes, um, certainly in our, in our, in our community, you'll see sometimes that there, let's say there, there, there's a man who's, well, no, there's a woman, yeah, there's a woman who's 45 years old. And, and all her friends still call her, she's been married for, uh, 25 years. Maybe she's 65 years old. She's been married for 45 years. And, and all her friends still call her by her maiden name. And she's very much, thank God, married. Why are they calling her by her maiden name? You say, like, who are you, who are you talking about? Oh, yeah, because we were in first grade together, in second grade, in third grade, and fourth grade. So, you know, hey, she's been married for 45 years. Her children are married. Her grandchildren are married. Like, hello, get used to the fact that she, she took on a new name or, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Anybody who... uh you know, you see these people who, you know, this success coach, you know, and he's a millionaire. There's a person I'm thinking in my he's a millionaire and there's a success coach, he's a, and et cetera. He teaches people how to be successful. Once upon a time, he was a high school teacher and he wasn't very successful. Everybody has that. So why do we have to refer back to that's what he was then? Done. Over. That's not who he is today. What do you keep... Why are you calling him little Jackie? You know, sometimes you'll see like, you know, well, this is Jack, everybody, you know, or, you know, whatever it is. Or, you know, let's say Mr. Mr. Anthony, oh, uh, Tony Rob, Mr. Anthony, he, this and this and this, you know. So why do you let a little, 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 little Tony, come on, why are you calling him by his old name? So that's the question. Why at this point are we calling Mashiach by his old name, which is what? You know what he used to be a long time ago, the afflicted one. Okay. So all that creating a question that now we have the answer for. And the answer is, as we say, a powerful life skill. Let's talk about afflictions. They're called negaim, a nega. A nega is an affliction, nega in Hebrew. The letters nun gimel ayin. Nega in Hebrew means affliction. The affliction of, um, in this case, the affliction of leprosy, spiritual leprosy. There's a pasuk. There's a phrase in Torah that says, "Adam ki When a man, an Adam, like Adam, has on the skin of his flesh an affliction. In this case, it means that leprosy. In the book Lekutei Tyra of the Balatanya, Ripshnir Zaman of Leadi, it says, "Who is Adam?" There are lots of ways that you can refer to man. Man has, when you refer to mankind, I know this generation is in the you have to say person kind. I don't want to say person kind. Mankind, mankind has many names. When you call mankind, humanity, Adam, it means a very, very high level of when, that when mankind is reached 
a very high level. Like Adam. Like Adam, the soul from which all the souls come out, come out of. There's a completion, there's a wholeness to his soul, to his life, to his beinghood, to Adam. And when we are called by the name Adam, it means us as we're doing very well on a very high level. That everything that needed to be completed and purified was done. But, so when we're being referred to, Adam, means us. Now, imagine yourself as the Adam in you. Imagine yourself when you will have gotten to that point of perfection. Okay? You came to that point of perfection. That point of wholeness. Let's call it wholeness. Not perfection, wholeness. You really achieved much throughout all of your whole lineage. And everything that was done through your lineage brought you to this point now where and all of the tremendous work that you did on yourself and you've come to this very high point in, in Mashiach times. And yet, I'll just read the Hebrew. There can still be something remaining on the outside of the skin. Which means the very lowest level. There's a, a dark, an evil, an evil that... It's the remnant of the remnant of what was once evil. But there's still, you know, there's still a little bit of it left that's clinging to you. And it actually gives birth to physical symptoms. In other words, when you've gone to that point where you're complete, you'll be complete. And the generation has come to that point where it's, where it's finally reached redemption and wholeness. And yet the moment, it's really a moment before it's full. It's, it's fully complete because a moment before they're still clinging to the external, to the skin, the outside of the skin, this, um, little bit of, uh, external, external, Remnants of evil. And those remnants literally give birth to physical signs, which are called saras, spiritual, spiritual leprosy. They're afflictions. They're, it gives birth to actual physical afflictions on the outside of the skin. That doesn't mean that if you have a skin rash, you know, it's the evil from you. We have skin rashes for lots of reasons. But this, <laughs> right? But, this is the situation with the generation as this is what will be, and also it's expressed through Mashiach himself. It's only the psilus, it's only the remnant left at the end of the most external part of our garments. Our garments means how we think, we speak, and we do. And that little bit has not yet been purified. And that's why it gives birth to a little impurified remnant gives birth to actual physical signs. There's another thing. Now, how external is it? It says, Adam ki'yeba When a man, Adam, has on the skin of his flesh, nega, affliction of leprosy. What does that mean? Ba'arbasara. Meaning, the outside of the outside of his skin. Kind of just touching just the real outside, not the inner skin layer, the outside, the one that's interacting, interfacing with the world. It's not his essence that's afflicted. 
It's the outside of him. It's not his limbs and his sinews. None of that. It's not his, it's, it's the outside of him. It's not even his flesh that's afflicted. It's because his flesh is something that's constantly changing. You eat, you drink, and literally your flesh is constantly changing, believe it or not. It looks the same, but it's constantly changing. But here we're speaking about he does not. We're talking about a situation of man when he's come to that point. He does not have... Um, He's not afflicted in his in his flesh. He's afflicted in the outside, outside, outside of his skin. Now, not only that, I'll show you how external it is. The outside of his skin, and Adam Kiyia, a man who might have, who happens to have, on the flesh of his skin, on the skin of his flesh. Meaning, it's not even a regular thing for him. It's sort of happens to be it's sort of um uh, what's the word an exception to the rule of who he is it just you know something really external to him it's like okay it happens to be and it's a nega saras nega is an affliction but nega is also from the word negia the hebrew word nega and from the word negia negia means to touch meaning that the negative thing the negative energy that's clinging to him on the outside of the skin of his flesh, it's actually not even his. It's just clean, it's touching his skin. That's, you understand, we're talking about a moment in history in which the world has come to, we have, starting with ourselves, we have come to that point where the bad stuff in us is, is definitely no longer internal. Kind of like a homeopathic remedy, right? No longer internal. It's no longer even part of our flesh. It's certainly not part of our inner organs and certainly not even part of our flesh. It's just from, it's not even part of the skin on top of the flesh. It's touching the skin on top of the flesh. That's how external to us it is. And yet it somehow belongs to us. And that's the last moment before the full redemption. And it's a crucial moment. And guess what? This sicha, speaking about this, means we're in that moment now. Look at the, look at the world now. It certainly looks like there's a lot of bad stuff going on, doesn't it? a lot of crazy stuff. Certainly looks like things were better five years ago. They certainly seem to have gotten crazy. But we have to understand what they are. It's afflictions that are clinging to the outside of us. That we still have a connection to. They belong to us. But they're so not deeply intrinsic. If you blow on them with, so to speak, the, you know, holy breath, holy intentions, pure minds, and, and a Torah pers- and a, a Torah mindset, a Torah mind and a Torah, Torah heart, a heart and mind that have been gleaned through Torah learning, as we're doing now, 
you kind of blow on them and they just melt in, into oblivion. Which really from this we're being told that all the ugliness that we see in the world now looks so solid and substantial and permanent and and not. It's the outside paper layer. It looks very ferocious. That's about all it has. It looks very permanent and very per- ferocious. And it looks like, judging by the way things went in history in the past, it would seem like it would take a few, um, not decades, a few centuries to get rid of what we've got going on now. The evil has become, and the darkness has become so thick, as in the plague of darkness, when there were the ten plagues in Egypt, the ninth plague was the plague of dark, darkness, and the dark was, darkness was very thick. People couldn't move or move around, or it was very thick. It was palpable. There's a palpable darkness now. It seems very thick in the world. It seems very, very substantial and very permanent, and it really does seem like it'll take centuries to get rid of it. You know, we were better off five years ago. But that's its facade, the darkness. It's really on the outside of the skin, on the outside of the flesh, touching. It's only one advantage that it has is that it looks substantial. It's like a hologram. It looks real. It looks substantial. It looks permanent. It looks like it'll be here forever. And then we're shocked when it seems to just, uh, well, where did it melt into? What happened to it? I don't know. It just, it was like cotton candy, you know. You ever see cotton candy, I think, I don't know, in heat or in the sun, it just sort of melts into nothingness again. It looks so substantial, that cotton candy. And yet you put it in the, in the heat and just like there's nothing left. Where did it, where did it melt to? Where did it go to? And one other thing, okay, and here's the really, now you want to just take a deep breath, because here's something very powerful, a very powerful thought, a new thought. So one thought we're saying is that the evil that we see, and certainly the darkness in ourselves, is really very external. And we're going to find out the question we're going to have is, how do I get rid of this? I've got a lot of that external darkness it looks real okay you're telling me it's not so real tell me how to get rid of it okay we'll get to that in a few minutes now we're going to be told a new piece of information you know as they say in the you know when you go to these conferences they say take a deep breath prepare yourself for a new idea says in the these afflictions are actually spiritually very high energy. They're not called tame until the Kayan calls them tame. Now, what is tame? Tame means there's tuma, which is impurity, and there's tara, which is purity. The way it would work in the time of the Holy Temple is if a person was, and there were many people for various reasons, who were afflicted with this illness, 
And what they had to do, the Torah said, they had to go to the Kohen, the high pr- the priest of the priestly family, Kohanim. You know, people have the name Kohen. The, the tribe of, priestly tribe, the Kohen. And he would analyze it. The, the Kohens were taught how to spiritually analyze and physically analyze, how to know what everything is and what has to be done, how long they, usually the people would have to isolate themselves for a certain amount of time, etc. Go outside of the congregation, uh, go outside of the community to an isolated place, depending on how the, actually the hairs in this follicle, follicle where there was um, spiritual leprosy, where there was this leprosy, this affliction, this nega, they would be told if it's pure, it's not pure. A regular person wasn't trained to really know the difference. Looks like uh, some kind of a thing on the skin. The Kohen was tr- was trained. When he says this is impure, tame, impure, then he has to follow a certain protocol. And then he has to come back at a certain point. And at a certain point after his doing a certain amount of soul searching and really reconnecting himself with God, there comes a point when he goes back to the Kohen and the Kohen looks at it and says, now I see that it's it's pure. It's not impure anymore. The spiritual purification has been accomplished. He could tell by the physical the physical signs. So here we're saying, the Torah is telling us that that means you go to the Kohen and he says, this is impure, Tame, or this is pure, Tahar. It is not impure unless the Kohen tells you that it's impure. And until he calls it Tame, impure, it is not that. His declaration of what it is makes it be what it is. His declaration of what it is, again, according to the dictates of of our Holy Torah, at a specific time, specific situation, not just any declaration, but his declaration of what it is, he is telling us what the Holy Torah, what God is telling us it is. If God says it's impure, it is impure. Until that point, it is not. So until he has called it with the name with the name impure, they are not really considered impure. Those afflictions are not considered impure. I'm going to read the Hebrew. If he hasn't yet called it impure, then it is not considered, according to Torah, it is not yet considered impure. So in an affliction, a nega. An affliction, is it impure or pure? Let's see what the Torah says. Until the Torah says it's impure, it's not. So what else can it be if it's not impure? It's an affliction. It's a nega. It's an affliction. Okay, let's take the letters of nega. Nun, gimel, ayin. Nega, let's turn them around. Turn them around, backwards, oneg, nega, oneg. 
Nego oneg. What is oneg? Oneg is pleasure. Very high level of pleasure. That means the same affliction that God is giving to us could be, at the same time, a very high pleasure for God himself. Because in that affliction, how can, what, God loves our suffering? Come on, that's crazy. It's not correct. He does not love our affliction. The, the, the myth that God is a punishing God is always looking to afflict us and punish us and get back at us for being so bad, it is a myth. It is not true. Our Holy Torah tells us, God loves us. He does not want to afflict us. He wants us to be close with him. He wants us to make this world into a place where he can live permanently, comfortably, and where the entire, he wants us to create a world called a dwelling place, a dwelling place in this lowest world. He wants us to create that kind of world by purifying the world. And that takes work, lots of work, and lots of struggle. He wants us to create such a world so that he just fits naturally into this world. Because his ultimate goal is to be fully revealed in this world, the same world where you don't see him at all. You go to Walmart and you buy you know, gel pads for your shoes. And the cashier, you say, oh, you ask the cashier, do you um, do you see God in this package? How much will it be? It says, um, $14.99. $14.99? It was $8.99 last week. She says, yeah, well, inflation. Okay, do you, by the way, ma'am, do you see God in this in these gel pads? And she's like, are you sure you weren't out in the sun for too long? <laughs> Maybe go home and take a rest. She thinks you're crazy. What do you mean see God in gel pads. Sir, you need a rest. Okay. Because that's the way God created the world, for him to be concealed. And he's here, fully, in the gel pads. But he wants us to work on the world to such an extent that his ultimate goal is he wants to be visible in every gel pad and every, you know, uh, receipt that you just got from the gel pads, you know, 14-day return, etc. He wants us to be. He wants to be fully revealed. He wants everybody to recognize him in everything. And he says it's your job to make the world into that kind of place where I can dwell permanently, and everyone will want to see me and see me, and and we will rejoice in each other's beinghood. Says God. I will rejoice in you, you will rejoice in me, and it will be totally different. The culmination of all the struggle of history will blossom into a beautiful, permanent redemption forever. Peace and love and open godliness, openly revealed. God will be openly revealed. So when it says a nega and affliction is spiritual pleasure for God, it's not like, yeah, let them suffer until we, God forbid. But the Torah is saying that there's a dual reality going on. 
when we see something that seems like an affliction, it's not necessarily only that. Externally, it certainly is an affliction. Internally, on the highest levels, there's something very powerful going on with God because he's saying, you notice we're getting closer. And that's my goal. You're coming to a consciousness, even though it might not be visible to other people, of a consciousness. You're coming to a consciousness and a, a desire to be closer to me, a longing to be closer to me, to God that's so precious that the, that the people in the world will long to be close to him more than anything else. More than anything else that I long for, I will long to experience a oneness with God. That's where he's taking us. And somehow, in this process of affliction, embedded in there, sometimes unbeknownst to us, there's a longing for God that springs up from that that is very, very precious to God. Literally, a longing for God that springs up. So this nega, this affliction, is an oneg. Is a deep pleasure. So, a deep pleasure for God. A, a, a very high level of pleasure. And by the way, then we know, let's take a very, very simple example. Um, you know, sometimes when people want to, let's say you want to stop eating sugar, right? So it's not so simple, you know, no more cookies, no more pastries, no more, you know, all that stuff. So it's not so simple. But, um, you know, and some people may find it, you know, feel like they're suffering. But on the other hand, some people feel like, Every time I'm not eating that stuff, even though I sort of want to, I feel a very deep satisfaction. I'm finally pursuing my goals. I'm finally being, you know, instead of being lame and just eating the same old junk that I, I say, why am I eating this? I shouldn't be eating it, but I'm a slave. I can't stop myself and all that. There's a certain pleasure and a certain very um, high-level pleasure that you can get from saying, I know, I see that. Somebody, you know, let's say somebody asks you, would you like that pastry? Why do you have to say, no, I don't want it? You say, I would love that pastry, but I'm not going to eat it. And there's a very deep pleasure, a much more ethereal, a much more sophisticated pleasure in 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 not eating it and, and really stepping into that deep satisfaction of I'm living – I'm living my goals instead of being a lame slave. There's a very high level of, 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 of pleasure from that. So that gives us a drop of a, a sense of nega, the affliction, is at the same time a very deep level of pleasure. Right? The affliction is, I will, oh, everybody's eating these pastries and I can't eat it. Oh, no, poor me. I, I, I want it and I can't have it. It feels very afflicting. But the this, this other side of the coin of the same experience is, wow, I'm living my I'm living my goals, my dreams, my principles. I'm I'm I, I, I'm 
I'm happy with the way I'm pursuing what I what my beliefs are. So that's just a small example, and obviously for God, that that's more much more. We're talking about much higher frequencies of the same concept. And the reason is because negayim and nega and affliction are called divarim gvayim. They're very and affliction is something a, a very high thing. A very spirit it comes from a very high spiritual source. Ayres el yainim, very high spiritual light. And because there's such high spiritual light, when something negative comes out of them, remember high spiritual light. Now, okay, now. Let's breathe, take into that concept. The nega is really an oneg. Or the, the nega is a nega, the affliction is an affliction, and at the same time it's an oneg. It's both. Now we're moving, you know, these are blockbuster co- concepts. Now we're moving to the next blockbuster concept, concept which is what? Um... What, how do you fix them? You know, how do you, let, let's just say like this. If there's an affliction and at the same time it's a very high level of spiritual pleasure, uh, how do I switch to feeling the pleasure part <laughs> instead of feeling afflicted? Don't you feel like, you know, we're all so tired of feeling afflicted and feeling victimized. You know, in today's day, everybody's like, enough with being a victim. Everybody's a victim, and I'm not going to mention different political movements. Every, You know, they switched. This person was a victim, now this person is a victim, and enough, die, die, you know, enough. I think we're also bored of feeling victimized and feeling like we're afflicted. We're just, we're looking for something fresh and new, but it has to be true. Don't give me a technique. If you want to not feel afflicted and you want to not feel victimized, you know, make up some political movement. It's not going to work. You just switch it around from they're afflicted now, they're afflicted, they're the slaves now, they're the slaves now, they're the bad ones now. Okay, you're just moving the same junk around. Not doing anything. So if an affliction is really, I'm so bored, been there, done that for thousands of years with feeling afflicted and victimized, and, and we have been. And, and and internally, even if, you know, we're no longer afflicted and victimized, internally we victimize ourselves and we afflict ourselves. You know, I call it an exile, a struggle addiction. So if... So here we have a concept. The other side of this coin is that it's a very high, very high life. It's an oneg. It's a very high spiritual pleasure for God. Um, so my request would be, God, could you show me the, the, the oneg part of it? I'm just tired of feeling afflicted. Could you show me the spiritual pleasure part of it? The Could you show me the highlights that are the other side of the coin of this affliction? Because oh, I've been there, done that. I'm too, I'm too tired from all that affliction. You know, I'm looking for something fresh. And I'm looking for something true. So here the Torah says, when something comes out of these very highlights. Now, sorry, one more thing. Okay, I, okay. Now, we say breathe in, breathe out. Imagine the following. I'm going to pick a very kind of silly example. 
you go to a very specialized um, pet store, and they and you buy a baby elephant, tiny little. I don't know how big elephants are when they're when they're born. Very expensive, few thousand dollars, uh, whatever it is. You know, you and and you buy a baby elephant, and you summertime you put there. You live in California, you have this baby elephant in your backyard. Baby elephant grows big fast. <laughs> At some point, you know, you want to give the elephant a bath. So when he was little, tiny, you know, you had this disposable bathtub. You keep having to buy new bathtubs. You have this disposable bathtub. But at some point, you know, you put him in this little plastic bathtub, and within a split second, the bathtub crack, cracks. Because <laughs> the elephant is too heavy for this plastic bathtub. So we can understand when there are very high lights, heavy, heavy meaning good in this case, heavy, high spiritual lights. When you put them in a vessel that's too weak for them, they'll crack the vessel. That's what happened to the Jewish people when we received the Torah. No, not the Jewish people. No, the entire world. Sorry. When God gave us the Torah, the Jewish people actually, at that moment, ten times when we were told the Ten Commandments, the Ten, right, the ten Sayings, uh, the Ten Speeches of Hashem, of God, after each one, everybody completed their full mission in this lifetime and left the world and then was came back. God brought us back with the dew with the dew of of that will be in the time of the resurrection of the dead, the dew, D-E-W of Torah. And at that time, we were brought back, brought to life, a brand new life, to go through a whole new mission. And that happened ten times. At the same time, when God was saying those things, so it looked like everybody passed away, and but essentially everybody was being brought in going through 10 different phases of 10 different lives, so to speak. That was the Jewish people. For the rest of the world, the rest of the world broke. Everything broke. No bird twittered and no this, that, no animal, no cow mood and no, you know, no ox mood, nothing. Everything stopped. The revelation of God in his very essence of that moment when he said, Anochi Hashem Alekecha, I am God, your God. You should admit, you must have no other God. When he said that, the light was so intense, the spiritual light was so intense, and so holy and pure, but so intense, we'll call it heavy, that it cracked the vessel of the world. Simply cracked the vessel of the world. So everything broke. And then God created, you know, a new world after that. And since that moment, we have spent these 3,300 and some years strengthening the vessel of the world so that when God reveals himself that way again in the messianic times, there will be no breaking and no cracking, but rather the world will finally be a fitting vessel for that revelation of God forever. And higher and higher and higher. 
and deeper and deeper. Higher, higher light as we go through history in messianic times forever. We're not staying static. We'll go higher and higher and the vessel of the world will become deeper and deeper. How was the vessel of the world fixed over these 3,333 years? You know, from a plastic bathtub to a stainless steel, so to speak. The Jewish people did Torah and mitzvahs, did study Torah, did mitzvahs, commandments of God. Unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of what's called Kiddush Hashem, Jews were sacrificed. The sanctification of God's name, I'm sorry to say, burned at the stake, um, massacred, etc., etc., etc. Go through all the phases of history. Pretty horrifying. Pretty horrifying. And and Jewish people were willing to give their lives up. Uh, innumerable, millions of times, Jewish people were told, "Give up your, give up your connection to God, and we'll let you live." Here's the sword at your ne- at your throat. Don't give up your connection to God, and you die. And almost always, they 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 thought and said, "Not like we're looking to die, but we will not give up our connection with God Almighty." And they said, "Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hero, Israel, the God, the Lord is our uh, is is our God, the Lord is one." God, Hashem. And they left the world. They weren't looking to leave the world. They knew one thing. If it's this choice between hanging on to their physical lives and severing their connection with God or vice versa, they said, sever a connection with God, never. Nobody's suicidal over here. But there was a recognition with the Jewish people, deeply embedded in the Jewish people, that a severance from God is more is 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 the one unthinkable thing. The disconnect from God is the one unthinkable thing. It's, it's there's nothing. Not willing to consider that option. And we and as the Jewish people, our job is to bring the entire world to that consciousness and to that experience of wanting that deep connection with God. And we're definitely not going to say that um, people, the nations of the world didn't sort of probably sense that in us and uh, were none too happy about it. And, um, you know, didn't exactly treat us kindly based on not liking that that's what we stood for. But here we are today. And it's a world that is looking to come to truth, come to a point of truth. So what we're saying is that when these highlights, going back to the, this idea, when these highlights come down into a vessel that's too weak for it, it can create negative things, which are called yunika sechatainim. Um, um, what's the word? Uh, yunika. Siphoning off um, from unholy forces. And yet, right, so if we have very high light, you know, the, the oneg, 
the very high lights, high spiritual lights, coming down into a vessel that is too weak for it, into a world that's too weak for it, so that the world will crack. You'll get all kinds of junk happening. Look at the world today. That seems to be what's happening. How do you know there are very high lights coming down into the world? The world sort of broke. America cracked, broke. The world cracked and broke. Nothing, all of the, all of the things that we used to depend on as being solid and normal and healthy, um, have been challenged. There's almost nothing left. Except for the essence of the soul and the connection with God. All of the isms have cracked open. So, this is what happens when, when these highlights come down into a world. Our job is to make the world a, a fitting vessel for God, for these very lofty lights. And yet, when all of this happens and there's a cracking of the vessel, it's only an external thing. It's, remember we said nega, negia. It's only touching. We haven't cracked open the essence of it. All of the junk that we see happening in the world today, it's not as essential as it feels. It's external. It's the signs of a world that has been purified by all of this that I described before. Self-sacrifice for the sanctification of God's name, etc. It's now what we see are external signs of a world that is longing for truth and flailing its arms desperately and, and all the ugly stuff is hitting the fan. But it's Nagia. It's at the most external levels. The external, the outside of the skin of the world. So how do you fix it? That's a million-dollar question. How do you fix it? It's through the tikkun, the fixing of it is through taras hamatsaira, through purifying the leper, purifying the leprosy, purifying the affliction. Now, how do you do that? It's not by bringing something new in. Okay, let's see. What can, what can we bring in to purify this affliction? There's another way. And here's another revolutionary statement. The way we purify it is by revealing the truth about the affliction and afflictions. That they are really Iris Elyonim highlights. Now, I'm going to repeat that. How do you purify the darkness of the world? I'll say it a few times because I know when I listen to recordings, they say something amazing very quickly and I can't find it on the re replay. So I'll say it a few times. How do we purify? What does our Holy Torah tell us about how to purify the nega, the afflictions, the darkness of the world that we see today? And even the, and the darkness in ourselves. How do you purify it? You bring in some tool from outside. You, you, you hit it, beat it, stamp it, cut it, melt it, put fire. What do you do? What do you do? 
you reveal the truth about the affliction. To purify the affliction today wasn't always the case. To purify the affliction, you reveal the truth about the affliction. So again, one more time, the way that we the way that we fix, we purify the affliction today in today's generation, not in other generations. In other generations, you really had to take a stick and fight the darkness and destroy it and bomb it and and all that other stuff. Today, we've come to a new moment in history, in which truth cleans all things. It's funny because we seem to be in a world where you know fake news. Untruth seems to be more popular than ever, but that's for a reason, too. It's a culture confrontation. It's a a spiritual confrontation of, you know, is untruth or truth going to win the battle? We know the answer. Of course, truth will win the battle. And it's all a process of moving the world, of God moving the world in that. You could say, well, why does God allow, you know, these obvious sins to... Um, to propagate. He has a master plan. He has a master plan. And today, the way that the affliction, and the world is certainly afflicted. The world is afflicted relative to even, you know, the the 1950s, the 1960s. The world is afflicted in that, you know, things that were considered highly immoral and sinful and uh, against God's will, um, seem to, you know, be uh, the uh, political platform, et cetera, you know, that you, et cetera. We're not going to go into that, but we understand it's, it's intense craziness. So today, as that's happening, we have simultaneously, and it's happening probably as a result of that we have m- come to a moment where now the way the affliction of the world and the affliction within yourself is purified is not by bringing something from outside, but rather, I'll say it in Hebrew, gilui inyanam hamiti shalinigayim, by revealing the truth of these afflictions. The truth. What is the truth of these afflictions? The truth of the afflictions is, of the nega, of the negain, is that it's iris elyon. It's really high light, lofty light. That's why it says in, in the verse in the Torah, this will be the Torah, the Torah of the leper, of the Mitzorah, on the day of its purification. Why doesn't it say this? It says this will be the Torah of the Mitzorah. Why does it say this will be the purification of the Mitzorah? Because the purification and on the day, what is a day? Purific- this is the Torah of the, the Torah of the Mitzorah on the day of his purification. Because purification comes through daytime. What does it mean day? Day is when it's light outside. Nighttime means when it's dark outside. Day is when it's light outside. So that means by revealing the light, the R and Gili, the revelation of something, 
It says, and God called the day, the light day, when he created the world. He called the light day, and he called the dark night. When the very lofty lights are revealed, what are those lofty lights? That's called daytime. Lofty lights being visible, light is revealed, is called day. Lofty lights being visible is called day. Spiritually, it's called day. D-A-Y, daytime. And those lofty lights are the truth of everything that's going on in the world. They are the truth of all the afflictions. They are the truth of all the craziness. Those lofty lights are really the truth at the core of all of the insanity and all the darkness and all of that. The craziness and the insanity is truth shedding all of its external layers and all of all of all of the things in the world that need to be shed and need to be purified. And it's all coming from the place of the lofty lights. That's their truth. So that is the truth of the afflictions. And it automatically, by revealing the truth of the afflictions, it automatically gets rid of, uh, nullifies what's called yunika sechitainim. It automatically nullifies the ability of the unholy forces to get their hands on goodness and to overwhelm goodness, even the most external one. So let's just, we're going to sum this up a little bit. The reason that you can have what's called yunika sechitainim, you can have um, these unholy forces getting their hands on holy energy, God forbid, good things. How did they manage to, you know, how did, how did they manage to get, they're trying very hard to get their hands on the youth, innocent, pure youth, and get them um, into very unhealthy and unholy stuff. Right? We know that. We know that, well, God forbid, we know that the terrorists don't just happen to be terrorists because they're bored. They're trained as little, little children. You watch any of those videos in kindergarten, they're literally trained as babies to be that, God forbid. They're trained with a certain philosophy that we won't even repeat that philosophy. So the negative forces, the dark forces, trying to get its hands on goodness, where does it where does it come from? To such an extent that there is actual darkness. It all comes from lofty lights of the nega of the affliction. Because the truth of the affliction is it's really something else. It looks like that, but it's something else. There's something happening in the world that's very lofty and very holy, and very spiritual. And God has a master plan, and he is playing out his plan, piece by piece. And he not only begs us, 
to work with him to unfold this plan more quickly. He empowers us. He, he sends us the Moses of the generation to empower us to do that. To turn the whole thing around, reveal the truth of what's going on quickly, and usher in the redemption quickly. But the fact that these external dark forces can get their hands on anything is because of the great advantage of these lofty lights. Because these lofty lights are so lofty and they're so, let's call them heavy, they can't come down into vessels. Any vessel they come down into will break. You know, my, my elephant now weighs two tons. I had to get him his own, you know, field to live in. Whatever. Can't put them in a bathtub. These very high lights cannot come down into vessels. They're called the vessels of the world of Tohu. And they can't be enclosed in vessels down here. And all the negative stuff comes from the fact that the very lofty lights can't come down into the vessels of the world. There is no proper vessel for them. So what do you do? It says in, um, I think, uh, Ethics of the Fathers, if your heart runs away, just runs on a rampage, come back, bring it back down. Not just back down, back down to oneness, to the oneness of God. Bring it, that is what we are here to do. Everything that we do and experience Bring it into that experience of the oneness of God. And that's why So if your heart runs away with you on a rampage, bring it down to Echa, to the oneness of God. Come back down. So in order, so the question is, should you go up to God and, you know, just reach up to God, or should you bring all of that down here into everyday life? They're two opposites. So what do we do when we have two opposites? You tap into an energy that's above both of them that can bring the two together. That energy is called Tiferes. Tiferes is the third energy. It puts together the two opposites, the Chesed and Gevura, the giving and the holding back. The flow and the and the um, limitation. Tiferes. We're now, as we're counting the sphera, we're in. We're beginning the week of Tiferes, of that blend that brings all things together. Very high lights with a world that is, that that needs those lights into in it. And how do we do it? Power of the Messiah, purifying the afflicted one. Because this is the, why does it say this is the Torah of the Messiah of the afflicted one? Why does it say it's a purification? Because the way we purify affliction, the way we fix them, is through the learning of Torah. Through the learning of Torah. And so the last thing, and let's sum up with this. Again, it says in the Ethics of the Fathers of the Father. 
what is the straight path for men? What is the straight path to go, you know, so that we will come into messianic times and we will come to a world of perfection? What's the straightest, fastest way to get there? The fast track. So it's a, the straight path. And that's for whom? For Adam. Remember we said for us as mankind, but to bring us on that high level. And so it says, who says it? Rebbe Aimer. Who's Rebbe? Rebbe. Who's Rebbe? As it says, you know, that the name of Mashiach is the Metzira, the afflicted one of base Rebbe. Of base Rebbe. Mashiach as he is in the, his identity is at the time of Gaulus of exile. So here it says, if Mashiach is from them, those who are alive today, then it is surely Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi. So Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, and also referring to that as Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi says, what is the straight path for a man to go into, for a mankind to go to? Rabbi says, he says, and for, again, for mankind to go, he's saying to Ferris, Culture to Ferris lifestyle. Everything that is beautiful to Ferris to doing and beautiful for mankind. The Ferris means the idea of Torah. And to, and and when we're when we're reading the counting the Sira on the last day of this week, we come to we come to Malchusha b'Teferis. Malchusha b'Teferis. Leadership, kingship within that beauty, within that blend. And so what is the, what is the hirah? What is the lesson for us? What is the, the, the tool that we're being given? And the tool is Malchus, Malchus, kingship, kingship of whom? Mashiach himself. And Teferis, Teferis, the beauty, that's Torah. What does that mean? The practical tool is to learn about Mashiach. It's called learning and Yana Mashiach Hugula. To learn in our holy Torah everything that it says about Mashiach and about Messianic times, which is embedded everywhere in the entire Torah. And within the learning of that, that upgrades all of us to the higher frequency in which we begin to perceive the truth and long for the truth, and the truth becomes something that's in sync with our basic instincts. We're used to all through history the battle, you know, I feel this, the Torah says that, and what do I do, and I have to make myself better. And now we're at a point where we want to be at the point where how I feel and how I think and how Torah says, Torah speaks and thinks and feels, that's the same as me. So when we learn about Mashiach in our Holy Torah, it upgrades to that frequency where we're more in sync. So, and therefore, and especially when we learn it in groups, so let us give each other a blessing. That in this very special week of Tazri and Matera, when we're dealing all with the, what we said, the afflictions, the world bringing, and, and, and in truth, in these two parshas, bringing the most lofty lights of Mashiach and Messianic times down into this very practical, everyday world about 
mundane things. You ordered size eight shoes and they sent you seven and a half, bringing all of the most lofty lights into the most mundane. And this is a beginning of the introduction of the truth of Mashiach and ushering the, the time of Mashiach into the world. When all, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, as much as, as, as water fills the ocean bed, as Maimonides says, we will find ourselves immediately in a fully godly world. Now, the whole, the whole world and the, with the merit of us, teaching the entire world truth and bringing that, them internally to that level of truth. We'll find ourselves in the third base of the